donors feel, I want my money going to the cause. Um, but let's take an example of an organization. Let's say you have a shelter that helps people who have been affected by homelessness. Okay. And so you're saying, I care about this issue. I see it in my community. I want to do something about it. I'm going to donate to this shelter. Okay. Well, not all that money is going to go into housing. Some of the money is going to go to paying for marketing the services to get people to go there. And what does that mean? That needs to go to paying for the salaries. If you don't have the people paid to be there, then you don't have a shelter. You could talk about, you know, having a website. Websites cost money. You need to pay for these things. Getting donors to see beyond supporting your direct services can be challenging. What is my money going to be used for? Is the question that's driving this concern. Donors want organizations to steward their gifts well. The myth persists that the smaller the overhead percentage, the better the nonprofit organization. Yet in reality, an organization needs staff and a wide range of infrastructure from communications to finance to operations to run well. Skipping on these foundational elements, paying well-trained staff fairly, ensuring they have what they need to do their job well, that systems are up-to-date and well-integrated, does not actually achieve what donors want, a fully realized group of people working towards an important mission. The pressure to fit within an unrealistically slim overhead budget leads to many of the things that I frequently talk about on this podcast. Not being able to support staff in a way that promotes a healthy organizational culture, obsolete structures and processes, and ultimately contributing to the burnout many are trying to recover from. Mission Impact is the podcast for nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategy consultant. My guest today on Mission Impact is Susan Kahan. We explore what the overhead myth is and why it is still getting in the way of organizations doing their best work. What it means to create a culture of philanthropy within your organization, as well as the power of practicing big asks and the importance of curiosity and fundraising. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector brings you whole brain strategic planning, mapping, and audits for nonprofits and associations. We combine left brain strategy and analysis with right brain wisdom about human complexities for a proven whole brain, whole organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your impact, auditing your services, and getting an organizational assessment. We especially love working with staffed nonprofits and associations with human-centered missions. Well, welcome, Susan. Welcome to Mission Impact. Thanks, Carol. It's great to be here. So I like to start each conversation with, uh, what drew you to the work that you do? What would you say motivates you or what would you describe as your why? Yeah, well, again, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to speak to you today. And I would say, you know, what drew me to my work is that 
I really love helping people and I love connecting people to the right thing that they care about. So, you know, in fundraising, and I'm a fundraising consultant, um, in fundraising, it's all about finding people who care about something and giving them the opportunity to do something about it. And there's no greater thing that you can do, in my opinion, than donating to a cause. So to be able to help nonprofits find those people, to help the people who care about those causes and give and do something is really something that draws me in. And the final thing I'll just say is that there's this Hebrew proverb that has always meant a lot to me, which is that if you save one life, you save the world. And so to me, that's why I care so much about philanthropy is that if you can just save one life, you're, 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 you're doing so much. And so I think that, that, um, th- that's what compels a lot of people who work in nonprofits and in philanthropy. And that's definitely my why. Yeah. A couple of, a couple of different things come to mind. Um, <clears throat> as you're talking, um, I often, uh, you know, love to quote Mr. Rogers and it's like, look for the helpers. Um, but also, uh, you know, so often I, I, I was talking to my sister, one of my sisters and she, um, you know, was saying, I read the paper and she's a diligent newspaper reader. Um, and she was like, I get so depressed. And I wish at the end of each article, they were like, okay, here's all the depressing reality, but here's three simple things you could do to address that issue, right? So you're not yes. feeling so helpless. And I love yes. the idea that even if, you know, you may not have time to volunteer, you may not be able to fit that into your schedule right now. You may not, you know, be able to be an activist, but, yes. you know, you probably can donate to an organization in some way. And, you know, what, what's the thing that really um, connects to what's important to you? And then how can you find um, organizations that kind of match that? And I'm curious, um, you know, there's a lot of, I think, when people think about um, donating to organizations, there's a lot of fear around, you know, how will my money be used? And, Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you say to, to donors, uh, in terms of them, if they're not familiar with an organization, kind of ways to, to look for an organization that, that will meet, you know, what they're trying to achieve, but then also to have some kind of sense of this organization is doing good work. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's becoming more and more important. I think we're seeing just nationally, not just for nonprofits, but, you know, for government, for different things that people in general in the United States have less trust in institutions. So I think that that is a big hurdle that our sector has to think about because you're right that there's, I think, more questions than 20 years ago, definitely 50 years ago, you know, and how is this nonprofit using my money? And and I want more of a say in it. So I do think that that's something that we all need to think about in a way that probably wasn't considered or is valued as much. Um, So I think from the donor side, you should be looking for, you know, do they, are they on Candid and GuideStar? Do they share their financials? Do they have a board of directors that's clearly listed? Do they, do you see their staff even listed or at least some of their staff? Because, you know, putting a 
faces to who are the people behind this, I think that shows some credibility. I think you can, hopefully the nonprofit on their website or when you talk to someone, they share, um, you know, their past accomplishments. You know, we hear a lot about impact. So what does that look like? And again, that shouldn't be um, something too specific because we want to make sure that nonprofits have the opportunity to run and, and develop programs. But I do think that they should be able to share updates, regular updates on what they're doing, who they're helping, who they're serving. Um, so those are the types of things as a donor to look for. And again, it's about, okay, I care about this cause. What is this nonprofit doing about it? So let's say I care about climate change. Well, that can be in a lot of different things. So, you know, there and there are a lot of nonprofits that are working on the issue of climate change. So what specifically does this nonprofit do on this topic of climate change? From the nonprofit standpoint, I'll also just say that I think you need to have a conversation with your donors and you also have to explain to them, you know, unless it's a restricted gift and that's a whole other conversation, but you do need to let them in and see what you're doing, give them opportunities to be involved and trust that they can understand how things work and have a conversation with the donor about that. And donors, I think it's important that they understand that, you know, their $5, their $100, you know, not all of that will go directly out. It might be used towards the dreaded overhead, which I think is a huge myth that we need to debunk that overhead is a bad thing. Our staff deserve to be paid well. They deserve to work in nice places. You know, they need technology. Technology has costs, all those things. And so, um, so I think it's, it's, it's a conversation that needs to be had between the donors and nonprofits. Say more about that overhead myth, because, you know, when I was thinking about you, you mentioned Candid and um, that's a website where you can look up every yes. nonprofit in the United States and see right. their, their tax form that they're um, required to, to publish and make public as long as they have a budget of a certain size and right. all sorts of information is available there. But then Candid and then organizations have layered on that all sorts of more ways to kind of enhance their transparency. And so organizations can earn I don't know. I think it, what is it up to platinum the, level right. of their transparency? Yeah. yeah, and, and it's just yeah. all the different information that they're sharing. Um, but there are other, you know, kind of good good housekeeping seal of approval websites for nonprofits. Yes. But some of yes. them, to my mind, you know, are 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 feeding into that um, overhead myth of, you know, saying basically this is a good nonprofit because they only spend X percentage on overhead and everything else goes to quote program or, you know, the people that they're serving. Can you explain right. to, to folks why that always isn't necessarily a great idea? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I could, I could talk for days on this topic. It really, it riles me up because I think, you know, donors feel I want my money going to the cause and sure, I agree. I get it. Um, but let's, again, I'll take an example of an organization. Let's say you have um, a shelter that helps people who have been affected by homelessness. Okay. And so you're saying, I care about this issue. I see it in my community. I want to do something about it. I'm going to donate to this shelter. Okay. Well, 
not all that money is going to go into housing. Some of the money is going to go to paying for marketing the services to get people to go there. And what does that mean? That needs to go to paying for the salaries. If you don't have the people to operate and the, the people to run the place, if you don't have the people paid to be there, then you don't have a shelter. Um, you could talk about utilities. You know, electric bills need to get paid. How do those get paid? Through donations. You could talk about, you know, having a website. Websites cost money. <laughs> you need to pay for these things. You need a database to track your information, to track your donors. These all have our expenses. And, you know, I think those who work in the nonprofit get frustrated because we hear about, well, what's the percent that's going to quote unquote overhead? And it's like, who cares? I mean, I don't understand why this is a number that becomes a priority because especially I'll say from the outside, someone who's not involved in the decision-making of the budget, you know, you tell me what's the right percent, you know, should it only be 10%? Okay. Should it be 25? Should it be 30? Should it be five? Like, how are you coming up with these numbers to say, this is what makes sense for this specific organization. You know, if you think about your household, for example, you, you earn a certain dollar living, you maybe have income in various streams, maybe you have investments, whatever it is, but let's say you have a monthly budget, however that gets determined. How would you feel if someone who had no idea your circumstances were to say, you're spending too much on groceries? I mean, it's none of their business, you know, so I, I feel very personally affected by this because I think it's hard to judge someone else's budget when you're not really involved in the decision making. Now, I will say I don't think we want to go, you know, we, we, we don't want to go too far and, and not have a lot of the money go towards, quote unquote, programs or, you know, the people served. But I also think it's important that our staff are paid well because staff turnover costs a ton to nonprofits every year. Um, and we want our, you know, most people don't go into nonprofits because of the salaries. So, you know, I, I don't think we're overpaying our staff. I don't think that's a problem we should worry about. Yeah, we talk a lot on this podcast when I'm, I'm talking to other guests around how can we make, um, you know, the, the whole process of working in an organization um, feel healthier, you know, like the more that you cultivate an inclusive and healthy organizational culture, the more you're going to be able to do in terms of pursuing your mission and the less you're, you know, worried about the chair that's broken um, and the yes. computer that's too slow. And so, you know, yeah, it's finding that sweet spot, but I think the emphasis has been way too much on, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to slim all those things and, and it, and over time, you know, of course there's a, another extreme where, um, you know, we need to also have all those systems in place so that you're paying attention to any kind of financial malfeasance and right. the fiduciary responsibility of the board. But exactly. the, the reality for 99% of organizations is that they're feeling squeezed to, you know, make do. And that actually can get in the way of them being more effective in pursuing those programs and providing the best services oh. that they can and, and, you know, really taking a holistic approach. So, um, yeah, I'm there, I'm there with you on the whole, um, <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, I, I can understand why people kind of grabbed onto it as a metric. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it can really skew things in some weird ways as well. When people try yeah. to, you know, like make their budget look like that. And it's like, well, no, you yes. want to invest in the people who are going to, who are, who are essentially make the nonprofit. Right. So, right. yeah. Well, and I also think that, you know, I don't even know what the benchmark is because I, I find it silly personally, but, you know, there's these benchmarks. So you should have your overhead only, I don't know, 15% of your total budget or whatever the number is. And I'm not recommending that number at all. But I think, you know, an organization that's a national organization with 10 different offices across the country and, you know, 200 staff is going to have very different needs than a one office, um, you know, 10 person staff and, you know, or someone that, you know, again, they have a physical a facility where people come to, to do, you know, whatever versus, you know, like the, to compare how budgets should be made. I mean, there's so many know, variables. Again, there's so many variables. So to just say, well, here's a number that we can compare app, you know, apples to apples. Well, does that actually make this apple better? I, I, I think it's, I think it's sort of. We want to be in the, let's make the apple better business. <laughs> we want to make the apple better. Yeah. If there's something I could take away, make the apple better. Don't worry about comparing apples. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So um, when you're working with people inside organizations on helping them kind of get more comfortable with fundraising, um, what would you say, what are some things that help people kind of step towards that? Because I think I've, I've said before that very few people get into the nonprofit sector in order to raise money and raising money is necessary. Yes. Yes. So true. I Again, it's sometimes I've seen in organizations where fundraising is seen as sort of the dirty evil, like, you know, like the ne- or necessary evil. And it's like, what about this is evil? I think, first of all, we need to change that mentality. You know, talk about overhead is a problem. Also saying that fundraising is a necessary evil. Of course, we have funds. Of course, things cost money. Of course, you need to find ways to get the money. I I don't know why. I mean, it's like a company. Of course, you need sales. You need to operate. So again, I think some of these, the way we talk about it needs to change. But in terms of confidence building, I think that that is a really important part because if you are more confident, you will be better at most things that you do. And so much of fundraising is about relationship building and um, getting to know people. And if you come across as um, not confident or insecure or unsure, it talk about lack of trust in a mission. I mean, if I were to say, well, I guess we kind of need the money and will you donate? And I mean, our organization is okay. I mean, that no one will give. But if you say, look, we are solving this problem and we are really having an impact on this work. And I know this is something you care about and I want you to come along and help us make a bigger impact. I mean, the difference of what that can do to connect with your donor. And notice I didn't talk anything about dollars. You know, that is what is so important. So confidence, confidence, confidence. And to get there, I think there are two main things. One is practice. You know, I didn't just get to these words and knowing these things, you know, on my first day, but just like anything else, you need to practice. You need to observe how other people do it. You know, I speak a very specific way and that serves me and it's authentic and it's true to me. And Carol, you have your own speaking style and you speak your way and someone else would speak some other way. It's important that you practice and learn your speaking style. And then the second thing, it's it's about 
communication, persuasion, listening, and developing those skills really well um, to get to know your donors, to get to know how to talk about your organization, because it's not just about a mission. It's not just about talking about the programs, but it's about sharing stories and connecting those stories in a way that someone can say, yeah, I want to be part of this. I want to do something because you're getting them to do something. And I think that that, um, that those skills can be learned. Um, another skill I would say is perseverance as a fundraiser. Um, I was just on a call earlier today and we were talking about how hard it is to hear rejection. And it is, it's really hard to hear rejection and it, 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 it can really dampen your confidence, but you've got to persevere and know there are other people, other companies, other foundations, other institutions out there that do want to support us. Our mission matters. I just need to keep going. What do you, what are some things that you would say help people kind of build that confidence? So you've talked about kind of that practice and I'm wondering, um, what are, I mean, what are some things that people can start practicing to help them get yeah, more comfortable so- with their, you know, their elevator pitch or their talking yes. points or that it sounds more natural and isn't. Just like, okay, I'm reading my script to you. (laughs) Right. Well, the first thing is speak out loud. Mm. That's the first practice, whether it's, you know, you record yourself um, on Zoom. I do this all the time where I will record a pitch or something to myself and then I watch it back and you say, oh, is that what I sound like? Or do I do this weird thing with my eye? Like you, you will be amazed recording yourself speak. Um, You just, there are things you've never noticed. So that, or even talk to yourself in the mirror, like literally say these words, practice and practice saying, you know, if you're going to ask for a gift, maybe you've never asked for a gift over a certain amount, say in the mirror to yourself, Carol, thank you so much for your past support. Will you give a gift this year of a hundred thousand dollars? And just practice saying that because just by saying being coming comfortable with using big numbers because sometimes you you're going to make a big hopefully you're making big ass i I think that that there's just there's nothing like that i i think observing others is also a great tool to learning what to say i think writing stories um writing knowing your story why are you connected to the mission um knowing the different success stories of the organization And I think being prepared with great questions, again, this is about building relationships. So what types of questions can you ask your donor when you meet with them? What, um, how can you be a curious and interested person? Um, I think curiosity is really important. Um, So those are some of the things I would think about when it comes to practicing. Yeah, it's funny that you talk about, you know, recording yourself and then listening Um, Mm -hmm. on I guess I should have anticipated this, but doing this <laughs> podcast, I now, you know, before the episode gets released, when I'm working with my audio engineer, you know, I'll listen to a to a version, the first draft of the episode. And um, I am now aware of that. Apparently, I have a slight stutter. Apparently, a lot of people do, <laughs> um, yes. you know, or I'll say, um, or, you know, or so or all the right. filler words that you say, you, you start to become aware of your patterns of speech that you would not be aware of at all. And it yes. certainly has um, by hearing myself over and over, I still say those words, 
they'll, they'll be in this episode too. Um, sure. but I also, I feel like I've be, been able to become a little more fluid and, um, just by having these conversations, get more comfortable in expressing those thoughts, following with the conversation, being a better listener. All of those things have been unexpected benefits of, of doing this. And so um, I loved your point around curiosity and kind of following the conversation. And because and people, most people think of fundraising, they think of that big ask. Like that's all mm -hmm. they think about when they, you know, for those of us who don't do it. And that's why mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I don't want to do it. But all uh -huh. the other things go into it of building that relationship. So what are some things that you feel like um, kind of help people step into that? And you talked about observation too, for an organization where this person might be, you know, the first person that's doing fundraising for them, what are some other ways that they can have that chance to observe if there isn't somebody already in the organization doing the work? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's pretty common, actually, where there's maybe only one, quote unquote, fundraiser, official person in a development role. I would encourage them to think about, can they network with someone and see a you know, a director of development or some, someone like that at a similar type of organization, I would, you know, I'll say most people want to help other people. This, I, I have a couple of things I, I say a lot. And one of those donors want to be generous when they can, and people want to help people when they can. That's and true. so, you know, if, you know, like Carol, if I, um, you know, I was an, I am a newer consultant in nonprofits then I know you are, Carol, I know you've been doing this a little while longer. And if I had reached out to you over LinkedIn, you know, we didn't know each other at all, but I had found you and I had said, Hey, Carol, I'm new to consulting. Could I, you know, could we take 15 minutes? I'd really love to talk to you um, about your experience. I'm sure you would say yes. I think you did say yes. You know, I'm sure we had that conversation at some point. And I think it's absolutely the same thing with um, in the fundraising world. And I think you know, you can try to get sort of an unofficial mentor to have someone to talk to. Um, they've been through it. You know, I would, again, I would look for an organization that's similar. So that's one thing I would consider. The second thing is um, community foundations can be really helpful in finding resources for you. So they also, again, want to help their local community. So again, I would go to your local found, um, community foundation. Um, but sometimes they can connect you with someone great. And then there's also AFP chapters, which again, are there's national, there's local, and AFP has had its ups and downs. But overall, I found AFP to be a great resource. Again, great networking to find other fundraisers. And I think it's really important to to have your crew, have your people who know what you're going through, who you could say, hey, I'm having trouble writing this fundraising appeal for Giving Tuesday. Can, what's worked for you in the past? And I bet most people who work in fundraising will have an answer to that. So I think sort of finding your, your people and, and, you know, again, and I'll also say it's really important as a fundraiser to be able to reach out to someone you don't know. And I think that if you're not comfortable with doing that to a potential donor, then that is number one thing you should work on is reaching out to someone you don't know and starting a conversation with them. And this might be a great way to practice that because they're not a donor, they're, you know, someone in the field. Yeah, I love that point of um, 
building that network of peers and and people who are just a little bit further ahead of you or maybe even a lot mm-hmm. further further ahead of you yes. in terms of um, your learning and your network and um, using that as a way to practice uh, reaching out to people. And it's so funny you're talking about kind of informational interviews when you first get started. And in a way, that was part of the genesis of this podcast because mm-hmm. I was starting out as a consultant and so wanted to connect with consultants. I was having lots of conversations and and I thought at one point, well, I should be recording these and I should be sharing yeah. them with other people. Now, we're not talking about the business of consulting, but right. um, it it has just provided a great way to connect and, and build a network. And and yeah, 99 percent of the time people say yes, they want to have the conversation. Um, and, you know, and. They're also, and you mentioned AFP. Can you, can you say what the mm-hmm. acronym stands for? Oh, I'm sorry. AFP is Association for Fundraising Professionals. Okay. And they have chapters locally around the United States and Canada. Um, and they have, you know, whether it's meetups in person or webinars or, um, you know, affinity groups. Um, I'm based in Chicago and they have a really robust chapter here, um, but I know they do in other parts of the country as well. They're quite a large organization. And I think they have chapters. We'll look, we'll look it up to see whether they're beyond the United States as well. But yeah, I, I know they're in Canada for sure. I don't know beyond Canada as well, but um, th- they do have uh, chapters all over. And of course, with the internet, a lot of things are now online and people can access them from anywhere. So geography isn't um, as much of a barrier as it might have been in the past. So beyond the individual, let's say, you know, you're you're newer, but you're now you're you're a couple of years in, you're getting more confident um, in your personal approach to fundraising. Within the whole organization, what what are some things that really create kind of conditions of success for an organization to, you know, really build their their fundraising approach? Yeah, I think a few things. One is donor stewardship is so, so important. And I think, you know, we talk about culture of philanthropy sometimes. And, and what does that mean? That means where the entire nonprofit values, supports, accelerates the role of donors within the organization. Um, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, it just the development team works with the donors. We, you know, we don't have to, we're in finance, we don't have to work with them, you know, but really everyone should be thinking about your donors as investors, your donors as your clients, maybe um, your, you know, your buyers, your purchasers, also stakeholders. Um, you know, you don't want to be completely um reliant in terms of decision-making on your donors. That is not their role, but you do want to make sure that they feel valued and appreciated. So I think one thing in terms of donor stewardship is how can you get people from throughout the organization to be aware of fundraising? So talking about big goals are met, or if there's a big fundraising campaign, make sure everyone knows about it. Make sure that they hear the successes, the challenges, um, the feedback, you know, if let's say multiple donors reach out, they're like, we're really having, we heard about this new program and we're really, it doesn't sound great or whatever the feedback is. You hear things once, 
okay, like that's one person's opinion on a program. But if you hear something repeatedly in, in a lot of donor calls, then that's something to really take to the team and say, this is what we're hearing um, for better, or for worse. Um, so I think, again, sharing that feedback is really important. And I think the other thing, another way to get people involved throughout the organization is to do what you could either do like a phone-a-thon. So have everyone call donors to ask for a gift, which can get people to understand, you know, even asking someone for who's already given before to ask them to renew their $25 gift can actually be really hard. Um or you could do something like a thankathon as well, where everyone get again, everyone in the organization from top to bottom um, is responsible for calling. You know, they get their list of donors and they are calling just to say thank you. And you can do that too. And that be, can get, get, be a great way to get everyone involved in the process. That's something you can also do with your board. Um, but in terms of other things, I think it's thinking about how can we thank our donors in other op- ways, at events, um, on newsletters and, you know, just wherever there's opportunities to say thank you. Because as a reminder, donors do not have to give. Even if they've been giving for 10 years at significant levels, they do not have to give again. And it's all voluntary. And so I think that reminding everyone about that is really important. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about that kind of culture of philanthropy, because I I think um, when I was working inside organizations and I was not on the fundraising side, it did feel like mm-hmm. it was kind of, oh, that's those folks' job, you know? Right. So I love right. the idea of the thankathon. I mean, that seems like a really fun and, uh-huh. um, you know, nice way to kind of give people a, a baby step into um, yes. the process and get everyone yes. involved and, you know, get them knowing uh, uh donors. And it's also just really interesting um, that I I heard someone describe this as kind of the three-legged stool that, that nonprofits have kind of an interesting business model in that, you know, a for-profit organization has something they're selling and they have people who buy it. And it's a very direct Mm -hmm. um, relationship And in nonprofits, most of the time, there's some purpose. Oftentimes, you know, if if it's about direct service, then a group of people that that the organization is helping who do not, the whole reason that they're, that the organization exists is that those folks cannot, you know, pay for those services. And so then you need third parties to, you know, be supporting and, and providing revenue, whether it's individuals or, you know, um, institutional fund of uh, right. funders, all, all government, Absolutely. all those. And so you, it ends up with this kind of odd um, relationship between who's giving the money and, and who is, you know, working on behalf of the organization and who's right. being impacted by the mission. And so it can get, a, get a little goofy in terms of who's making decisions about what and who's paying attention to who, but um, mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of important for people to remember that because especially if they come from the for-profit sector where they're used to that more direct relationship, it takes a little while mm-hmm. to kind of figure out how does this all go together? Right, right. And, and I think just having an understanding of the money doesn't just come. Um, the money, you know, even if you've been a strong, large organization every year, I'm going to guess that's because you have a strong 
large development team that's making sure those gifts keep coming in. It does not just happen. Right. It doesn't happen by magic. You cannot rely on past success for future donations. So I think it's kind of like the the warnings on the stock market, right? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes. So I think, you know, the other thing, if I could just, you know, for people who aren't in fundraising to, to think about, you know, when you donate to something, you're donating because you're trying to help something in the future. You, mm. you know that there's a continued need moving forward. You don't donate because of some past success. So maybe you had an incredible year, an incredible successful whatever campaign, whatever it is that your organization does last year. That does not make a donor give again. They have to know, well, what are you doing now? You know, what are you doing for me lately? It's like that. So you have to keep thinking about as you're communicating, as you're marketing, as you're, you know, giving feedback on, you want to tell people what you've done. That's how you build trust, which is, you know, the question from the start. But as you move forward, you need to think about how can you tell them where are we headed and how can you be a part of that? And that's why you should donate. And so that's where I come in, where I help the group figure out where they're headed and, and why they exactly. want to move forward in that in that way right. in terms of strategic right. planning. So on, exactly. on each episode, I ask uh, each guest, what permission slip would they give to nonprofit leaders or what would they invite them to consider to not be a martyr to the cause, like I like to say, and as they work to cultivate a healthier organizational culture? So either a permission slip or an invitation, and what might that be uh, from your point of view? Yeah, well, I think that is such a good question. I love that, um, that permission slip. And so what I would say is to remember that, you know, again, at the beginning, we talked about overhead and how... um, Chances are you're squeezed for cash and squeezed for resources. I'm again, not every nonprofit, but a lot are. And so remember, and if you're not squeezed financially, maybe you're squeezed with your time. That again, I'm going to assume a lot of that is true for a lot of your listeners. I would say you can't do it all. And so to just acknowledge you cannot do it all, like, you know, if you can't like, and again, something I said at the beginning, you can't save every life, but you can save one life. What one thing can you do? What one place can you start with? And so I always say, start with what you're great at. Start with your strengths. Start with um, what's easy for you and build on that and give yourself some grace for the things that you can't get to. It's okay. There's always tomorrow. There's always another way of thinking about it, but you can't do it all and start with what you're great at. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I feel like that's become the mantra of this year's uh, series of podcast interviews. It's all oh, like, okay, you know, good, good. what what are you focused on? What can you, what do you, you know, what do you do really well? Um, what are the, you know, what's the one, two or three things that you're really going to move forward and, and time to let the rest of it go. So where can people yeah. find you? How can they be in touch? Great. So again, my name is Susan Kahn and I am the founder and principal of Sapphire Fundraising Specialists. And so you can find me at sapphirefundraisingspecialist.com or on LinkedIn. Um, And my last name is spelled K-A-H-A-N. All right. Well, thank you so much, Susan. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Carol. It was great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Susan, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com. 
slash show notes. I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Cindy Rivera-Grazer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. And we'd like to hear from you. Take a minute to give us some feedback or ask a question at missionimpactpodcast.com slash feedback. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact. 